coming up next on Chamber Amplified. You want to know that like when times get tough, does can the bank weather the storm? So we're required to do things such as um, interest rate shocks, which we have to take our loan portfolio and say, if interest rates went up 2%, what does that do to the bank? Hello and welcome once again to Chamber Amplified, a podcast from the Findlay-Hancock County Chamber of Commerce. I'm your host, Doug Jenkins. Today, we're going to be exploring a topic that's really been making headlines across the country as of late, that being the recent issues with Silicon Valley Bank in California. Joining us today is Matt Wood from Citizens National Bank. Matt will be sharing his insights into how regional banks in our area operate a little bit differently compared to riskier ventures and also the ways that you can use FDIC to your advantage within one bank. We'll talk about that. Whether you're a small business owner looking for some practical advice on this issue, or maybe you're just interested in the latest developments in the banking industry, this is certainly an episode of Chamber Amplified you don't want to miss. Remember, here on the podcast, we're examining issues that impact the local business community, whether it be employee recruitment retention, marketing, IT issues, banking as the case is today, really anything that can be affecting your business. Our goal is to give our members tips each week on at least one way they can improve operations and thrive in the current business environment. Thanks again for tuning in. Remember, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can rate and review the show. It does help spread the word. Plus, we feel really cool when we get five-star reviews. Now, let's get into it. Joining us on the podcast, Matt Wood from Citizens National Bank. Certainly, banking has been in the news lately. Matt's here to break it all down for us. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right, so we talked a little bit about this at a Chamber event last week, and I think this is some really timely information uh, with what's happening with Silicon Valley Bank uh, and just maybe some of the unease that that's caused people or uh, in, in I don't know if it's the area or all across the nation, but we're going to break it down today. And you volunteered to be the guinea pig for this. So, Matt, it's all on you from here. Uh, <laughs> let's start kind of with the backstory. Silicon Valley Bank, uh, there's the run on the bank. It happens a little bit different than a run on the bank did in the 1930s. But what what was the backstory here? Yeah, so a little over a week ago, um, when Silicon Valley had had this issue, um, I think, well, first it starts out, you know, with the basic structure of that bank. I mean, that bank was um, primarily engaged in lending to startup businesses in the California market. Mm -hmm. um, so those loans tend to be riskier and have a higher default rate. Um, as part of that lending, a lot of the deposits that that bank had were funds that, you know, were given out through the loans. Um, so as those funds were used up and the deposits started to dry up in that bank, the bank uh, needed to kind of replenish the coffers. And, and the, the way they did that um, was by liquidating some investments that they had. So uh, another part of the backstory, you, you know, banks um, don't just make money by making loans and lending to people. Mm -hmm. um, they will also take excess funds that they have available and they'll do investments into bonds and, and um, other things like that. Now, generally the bank will hold on to those investments until they hit maturity. In some cases, um, a bank will choose to liquidate those investments prematurely. Sometimes you, they work out in their favor and sometimes, you know, there's a penalty to get out of those early. Um, due to the rising interest rate environment, 
you know, a lot of these investments that banks do on the backside are currently underwater. Um, so this bank was forced to liquidate, you know, a lot of those investments to kind of replenish the deposits that were running out of the bank. Um, in doing so, they took a $1.8 billion loss um, when they liquidated those funds. Um, now, it's been said in some articles that their plan was to issue more stock to mm -hmm. kind of bring in some new money to the bank and kind of replenish, you know, what they lost uh, by selling those uh, investments. But when news um, hit the public that they had um, had this loss and then we had, you know, some other banks that were kind of in the news, uh, a panic kind of happened. And one, um, people started to sell the stock, which caused the stock price to drop. And then, you know, more people took money out of the bank. So it was kind of a double whammy that they had. Um, so a lot different than the recession we had in 2008, where, you know, it was primarily um, bad mortgage loans that caused a lot of losses in the banks. Um, this one's a little bit different and it's being caused by, you know, interest rates rising at a rapid rate, um, you know, and the inflation that that's causing. Yeah. The, the interest rate part of the equation is really interesting here because a lot of the businesses that were invested or banking through Silicon Valley bank were these startups and things that they were businesses that primarily were able to make money because of low interest rates as they started to go up the need for them to make money started to increase they started seeing their stocks so it's kind of a, a domino effect just from the raising interest rates has this unintended consequence on, on this bank yeah and you know it's interesting too you know as a result of this this one bank failure the new hot topic for bank examiners literally over the weekend on Monday, we were seeing articles about this new term in banking called AOCI and AOCI stands for accumulated other comprehensive income. And that's kind of that investment portfolio that banks have on the backside. So all of a sudden examiners are looking at, you know, what potential losses do banks have hidden in this, in this loan or in this uh, investment portfolio on the backside. Um, I saw an article that came out, they kind of listed, here's the, the top 20 regional banks um, that mm -hmm. have, you know, major losses in their portfolio. I'm, I, we're not going to talk about those, you know, today, but um, I thought it was interesting, but, you know, just to see that list, the, the, now the article did go on to say, just because a bank has, potential losses in that portfolio doesn't mean that they're going to recognize them. Um, you know, really the only way they would have to liquidate those investments is if they get into trouble. Um, I would say in our market, we're really fortunate, you know, you know, in Finley, Ohio, Hancock County, and even, you know, the state of Ohio, I don't think that we're invested, you know, the banks in this area are not invested in riskier, mm -hmm. you know, things. Uh, the portfolios tend to be more balanced, um, real estate backed, um, just safer. So I, I don't see the banks in this area having the same issues that, you know, banks like that had, um, which would cause a bank to have to prematurely exit those investments um, and then recognize a loss. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit, uh, specifically when it comes to a, a regional bank. Uh, who makes those investments? Who decides what goes into that portfolio for a bank? 
I, well, generally, I think it's a it's a team of you know the executive management, um, the CFO, um, president of the bank. I'm sure you know is part of that. And then you know banks also have they're required to self regulate, which means we have to have an independent third party come in that advises the bank. And all banks do this. Um, we have an independent advisor that comes in. They meet with us once a month. Um, they examine our financials. They give, you know, advice. They look at what we've done. Um, at, at our bank in particular, we our CFO, and then we also have a person that, that is just dedicated to um, funding sources um, and the investment side of the bank mm-hmm. um, and kind of deposit rates and things like that. So um, we, we have the CFO, that person, and the president you know, along with the outside kind of council that's kind of driving, you know, investments here. And I'm sure that's similar at most banks. And I, ideally, the, the the people who are working on these, they're going to be somewhat conservative with it, maybe not overly conservative because you do want to have that return on your investment and everything like that. But they have to know at this point that, well, now people are really tuned into this. So I have to imagine there's going to be a little bit of tightening on that just from a self-regulation standpoint, we can get into perhaps what the government's talking about doing after all of this, but it feels like self-regulation kicks in because this one bank had this problem. Everybody else wants to make sure that their depositors, their investors, and everybody else knows that they're taking good care of these investments. Yeah, I definitely think that um, you'll see more conservative conservatism going forward um, when it comes to the those types of investments. Um, I know like with us, I mean, we were already conservative on what we did. I mean, we we're, what we're understanding is that some of these banks like Signature Bank and, and Silicon Valley Bank that, you know, they were also kind of invested in crypto, which, you know, when FTX had its issues, you know, the crypto market really crashed. And so, you know, you had a little bit of, you know, the shake your loan portfolios, cryptocurrency, you know, is, you know, something they invested in. Mm-hmm. And then also um, investing in hedge hedge funds, um, which, you know, just more risky things. And I think um, that particular bank just had a riskier profile, you know, as a whole. I mean, compared to, I, I think, like in Hancock County, what you would deal with, we're just, it's not the same type of concern. But, when you know, when you see it in the news, I mean, I'm yeah. sure it, not a lot of tech bros pitching venture capital startups uh, in Hancock County, so right, right. don't run into that quite as much. Uh, you did mention the the R word in terms of regulation uh, as well. Let's talk just a little bit about government regulations when it comes to this. Uh, we had Congressman Bob Latta in the uh, in for a legislative roundtable uh, a week or so ago as well, talking about you know what increased regulation could mean in liquidity for customers, things like that. There's a whole there's a hundred different ways we could go. What are some of the the bigger regulations that the government actually enforces when it comes to these types of investments? Well, I think first of all, um, there's a, there's a minimum amount of liquidity that a bank has to maintain. Um, And sometimes it, try not to get too deep in the weeds here, but um, (laughs) it's hard. It's a, it's a weedy. Some banks will have, some banks will have a, you know, will increase their rates on their loans. And at the same time, and, and they're doing that to tr- try to slow down loan growth. 
And then they'll raise their rates on their deposits because they're trying to bring deposits in. Mm -hmm. Usually when you see those two going up together, that means that that institution needs deposits. They need to stop lending because your capital that you have to maintain, you've got to, you know, based on your loan portfolio, you've got to have a certain amount of deposits. So if you're, if you start getting loaned up too high, you've got to increase your deposits. So a lot of times, you know, you'll see if if a bank's raising their interest rates, they're trying to slam the brakes on the loans to let the deposits catch up. Um, So, you know, maintaining an adequate capital level is something that's highly regulated. Um, Also, uh, when it comes to the loan side, um, it's we're really regulated on having too many of the same type of loan okay. in one bucket. So I'll, in a, in a real easy one is hotel loans. You know, we have to bucket all of our hotel loans together. How much do you guys have in total for hotel loans? And they call those concentrations. Okay. Um, they might have, um, okay, how many church loans do you have? How many, um, if there's a, you know, if you have a lot of car dealerships, they, they, what they try to do is make sure that you're not overly heavily balanced in one type of loan so that if that industry goes down, it's not going to suck the whole bank down. Um, so they make you manage your concentrations and have reasons for, you know, having the portfolios that you have. So that's, that's another area that they look at and kind of regulate. Um, they do require us to stress test a bank. So um, everybody's bank looks great when everything's rosy, <laughs> but you want to know that like when times get tough, does can the bank weather the storm? So we're required to do things such as um, interest rate shocks, which we have to take our loan portfolio and say, if interest rates went up 2%, what does that do to the bank? Um we do a shock, which would be an instant 2% raise. And then they'll have us maybe do what's called an interest rate ramp, mm-hmm. which would be like a 4% rise in rates over a one-year period. And we'll have to model that into our portfolio and see what that does to the bank. Because all, all of these things impacts you know, the deposit side, the loan side, people's ability to repay. Um, so just a model. I mean, honestly, we are regulated like there's no tomorrow. It's, um, yeah. Well, and, and I think most people want to have guardrails, but they also don't want to have guardrails and then mammoth speed bumps and everything else to slow the liquidity and investing and things that would really slow down the economy. So it's it's good to see that there are guardrails in place and it sounds like they're being taken seriously, at least uh, locally. And I know that, that, that you and, and several bankers that uh, that are members here at the chamber all kind of uh, work, I'm not going to say work together on this, but you guys all talk and, and kind mm-hmm. of know what's going on. And I, I think it's it's certainly a better environment than maybe the wild west of crypto and everything else that's going on there. Matt, one last thing for you, possibly. I always come up with one more, one last question after I ask <laughs> my quote unquote last question. But are there false indicators that uh, a bank could be having uh, an issue that now that because people are heightened, it's it's kind of like the the UFO balloons that we were all seeing, you know, a month ago. Suddenly, those are gone now, and now we're talking about banks. Uh, people are looking more; they're being a little bit 
more critical or looking at it with a closer eye on, on what banks are doing? Are there false indicators that people can see and be like, oh, no. And then that starts kind of a panic that doesn't really need to be there just because we're kind of riled up about this right now. Yeah, I think uh, the one thing I hit on earlier, the the um, negative AOCI, which is that investment mm -hmm. portfolio, just because a bank has a negative AOCI currently on the books, that really doesn't mean anything by itself because a bank isn't necessarily going to have to liquidate their their other investments. Um, the only time that comes into play is if they would they're forced to liquidate that due to some unforeseen event. Um, you know, I'll be honestly, we we have a negative AOCI in mm -hmm. you know at our bank. Um, most banks, I mean, I'm pretty sure all banks do right now. But you know, the important thing to look at is is how much is it? If you took that out of the bank, how do they still look? Which um, uh, we're considered a well-capitalized bank in the eyes of examiners. Um, you have to be at 9%. Um, I think we're well over 11. If you take out our negative AOCI, we're, we're almost at nine. So we're still almost a well-capitalized bank, even taking that out. So right. um, I think that's a false indicator if you're just looking at that by itself. I mean, um, like I said, most banks have a good portfolio loan portfolio here and they're not really in trouble. So they're not forced to liquidate anything. Um, as long as you hold those uh, investments to maturity, they're, they're still going to be making money. It's just if you have to get out early that, you know, you have the issues. That makes you know, sense. One, yeah, go ahead. Go one, ahead. I, and I know I, I wanted to touch base on this real quickly. Um, one other item with the, with the signature um, Silicon Valley Bank was that that is a state chartered bank. Um, we happen to be a national charter. Um, national charters get a little bit higher level scrutiny than uh, a state chartered bank. Um, so maybe there was some things that slipped through the cracks there because mm -hmm. they weren't as regulated as a national charter. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to touch base on was FDIC insurance coverage. Um, one of the main questions we had on Monday and Tuesday following you know, that bad weekend of events was, um, you know, should we be worried if we have more than 250,000 in the bank? And the Fed came out and they, they basically said in the interim that they're going to cover um, depositors, you know, regardless of what they have in the bank. Um, they want to make sure that people don't panic and don't start moving their money around. Um, but most people, you know, may not understand this as well, but there's multiple ways to get more than $250,000 worth of insurance coverage at a bank. Um, if you're married, you can have an account in your name for, with $250,000 of coverage. Your wife can have a, an account with $250,000 in coverage. Then you can have a joint account that has $500,000 of coverage. Um, you can also have on top of that, an IRA with $250,000 of coverage for each of you. And then you can each have a payable on death account to each other. So that right there gets you up to $2 million worth of coverage um, just by how you title your accounts and, and, you know, keep the money. Now you can also move, you know, split money amongst banks and, you know, there's, there's other ways that you can do that too, but um, you can also be safe at one institution, you know, up to a high number um, without worrying.
That's that's good to know. I told you I lied about I lie a lot about having the last question because <laughs> I, I thought of a couple more there uh, while we were talking. Uh, one being how much of this is an aftershock of COVID because the COVID shutdowns and everything that introduced a lot of these inflationary pressures and everything that we've seen over the last several years or the last couple of years anyway. And then, so that's what caused the interest rates to go up. So is, are we still seeing that ripple effect of COVID on the economy? And this is just almost part of the nature of that is what happened with Silicon Valley bank. Well, it, I, it's hard for me to say, you know, that Signa, Silicon Valley Bank was that, but I definitely think that we're still seeing the ripple effects of COVID. You know, there was an unprecedented amount of cash that was given out, you know, as a result of COVID. And so banks were flush, flush, flush with cash and deposits and uh, spending really shot through the roof, you know, mm -hmm. and that contributed to this high inflation. Um, we're still, you know, people are still spending through the money that they got, you know, from COVID. And I think it's starting to dry up. Um, but I, you know, inflation was definitely caused by, you know, a sustained period of high spending. Um, and now we're trying to, you know, slam the brakes on by, you know, increasing rates to cool that off. Um, and it's taking, I think it's taking, it's going to take longer than, you know, was, you know, anticipated. You know, we originally heard that, um, we'd have these interest rates kind of through the first quarter of this year. And then with hope, maybe we'd start seeing rates coming down by December. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I don't know if we're going to be in that boat, you know, it seems like maybe this is going to take longer, you know, to, to solve than, you know, just by the end of the year. One last question for you for real this time, uh, <laughs> or, or maybe a comment. One of the podcasts that I, I was listening to uh, on this subject, they mentioned that one of the reasons that, you saw a, a quote unquote run on Silicon Valley Bank is because the people who banked in that were so heavily in the tech sector and they all talk with each other. Suddenly that created the snowball effect, but it's not like you saw in the 1930s run on the bank where there's a line out the door. It's a lot of text messages and everything like that. So it looks a little bit different in uh, in the day and age we live in now, but certainly there's still it's 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 a mindset or maybe not a mindset, but like an emotional thing will cause this to happen. So we can talk about all the different levers and everything that makes sense. But in the end, it's still humans doing this. So is that a concern or when when you're leveraged kind of the way you guys are with different types of investments, maybe you don't have as much of a concern in, in Hancock County? No, I I think you're 100 percent right. I mean, word travels so much faster now than it ever has. And I, I did read one article, and, and they kind of characterized the Silicon Valley Bank um, as a marketing blunder. And I thought that was interesting. But I read that that the memo that the bank president was going to be that had called a meeting to meet with the employees, that word of that got out. And mm -hmm. um, they instantly thought with the, with the loss that was um, created from selling the um, bonds. And, and now all of a sudden they're wanting to meet with their, with their bank staff. Um, and then they had also released a memo that they were going to try to raise capital by issuing more shares of stock. Um, it was, you know, just what you said, I think um, text messages, emails, 
phone calls started to happen and, and the snowball effect, you know, took place. It's all, yeah, it's, I imagine messaging from banks and communication from banks, very, very important to word those correctly right now. It reminds me of uh, when the Berlin Wall fell us because an East German officer was mistranslated and it caused a rush to the wall and they just <laughs> said, let them through. Uh, so anyway, that was a good thing. Runs on bank, not necessarily a great thing. So that's about enough for me when it comes to drawing parallels between things. Matt, we've got on way too long about this. I do appreciate your time. If people want to learn more about uh, Silicon are there any resources that you would direct them to? Uh, I, you know, I look at uh, Yahoo Finance quite a bit. Um, Google, um, there's great, a lot of great articles out mm -hmm. there. I think um, you kind of need to look at, you know, two or three sources, you know, to make sure you're kind of getting a common um, theme there. Um, sometimes you'll come across something and, you know, just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's true. But um, I think <laughs> if you, yeah, yeah, you kind of, um, check your facts, you know, maybe look two or three places and, you know, there's, there is a lot of good stuff out there. And, you know, and I'd also just talk to your um, local banker. I mean, uh, in most cases there, I'm sure they're willing to sit down with you and, and can offer some great advice. All right, Matt, we appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us. Okay. Thanks a lot, Doug. That's all for this episode of Chamber Amplified. We want to extend a huge thank you to our guest, Matt Wood, for sharing his insights on the banking industry. I feel like I've gone to school on this subject over the last couple of weeks, and it was really nice being able to talk to someone in the know about what happened with Silicon Valley Bank and learn a little bit more about how regional banks in our part of the country operate. It seems like it's two different philosophies. Before we go, we want to remind you that we're always looking for new topics to explore here on Chamber Amplified. If you have any suggestions for ideas for future episodes, you can email me at djenkins at findlayhancockchamber.com. We'd certainly love to hear from you. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you next time on Chamber Amplified from the Findlay Hancock County Chamber of Commerce.